All right. Well, I started recording, so oh, Bryce, Bryce, whenever you're ready. So, uh, welcome to All the Spectrum Podcast. I am Nick, and I'm Steve. Uh, as I always do at the beginning of every episode, here's a wonderful disclaimer: Me and Steve do not presume to be experts at anything that includes autism as well. Uh, we are just two people who happen to be on the spectrum who have opinions about a lot of things. So this is our podcast. Now, you may hear things that you agree with. You may hear things you don't agree with. If you're listening on some service that you can put a comment. If you disagree with it, put a comment in. If you agree with us, also put a comment in, as well as you might hear some swearing. Why? Because I do it a lot. Steve, you got anything else for a uh, uh, warning? No, not really. I think you covered all the warnings. I think yeah. I don't warning doubt. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a walking PSA. We do have a special guest today. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Miss, is it Miss or Mrs.? And it is Mrs., yes. Oh, excellent. Mrs. Michelle Markman. Yes. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on. Ah, it's great well, to have you. We're really appreciative that you were willing to come on our podcast. Yeah, of course. I'm excited to be here. So uh, let me ask the first question. How did you find us? I think I actually found you guys on Matchmaker FM. Okay. That's kind of awesome. Yeah. It's, a, um, it's a service that matches people up, like podcasts with people who want to be guests on. It's absolutely wonderful. Now, uh, I, just for my own edification, did you get a chance to listen to any of our other episodes? Yes, they did. And I quite enjoyed them. Really? Oh, I shouldn't sound that surprised on my own podcast. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, anyway, we have you on. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Michelle Markman. I am a late diagnosed autistic. Um, I'm also a neurodivergent relationship coach. I specialize in coaching people on learning to accept and love themselves with their new neurodivergent diagnosis, mostly later in life. Um, The majority of my clients are female, but I work with males also. And um, that's that's what I do. That's my passion. Nice. Sounds like a good passion to have. Pretty cool. All right. So uh, what what does some of that entail? If you could explain a little bit about exactly like maybe some of the details about what you do and how you help people. Yeah, of course. So I do one-on-one coaching at this point. Um, I do plan to offer group coaching at some point in the future, but currently it's only one-on-one. Um, and my program starts out by working on understanding who you are through your new neurodivergent framework. Uh, as I said, most of my clients are late diagnosed. So reframing their whole history through the lens of having this new diagnosis you know it really changes all of your experiences and changes the way that you view all of your experiences because when you find out you're autistic or adhd or any other kind of neurodivergent you start to see that your experiences can be viewed a little differently because of that diagnosis and because of knowing how you function differently in the world. So that's where we start. We start with accepting and loving yourself. And then you move into um, relationships and working on, you know, specifically for whoever I'm working with, whether it's 
work relationship, you know, intimate relationship, friendship. We work on building those, finding new ones, um, strengthening bonds, developing a sense of community. Um, we work on unpacking some of the trauma that we tend to go through as neurodivergent individuals and on, um, you know, figuring out what your strengths and weaknesses are and how to support the weaknesses and how to leverage those strengths and unique superpowers that you have. I like that. And there's a lot more, but that's an overview. Nick definitely <laughs> has some superpowers, let me tell you. Oh, yeah, if we want to call. Uh, no, that's... Some Don't we all? Uh, <laughs> we... Well, can I ask you maybe a personal question? Of course. Excellent. Uh, well, what was your uh, perception when you first got diagnosed? Uh, how did it affect you? I threw it out the window. I said, there's no way. First of all, I'm female. Second of all, I have friends. <laughs> Third of all, I'm not Sheldon Cooper. No, I know. I know. I agree with that a sentiment right there. It's the... It's the so the whole framework of how we, you know, view autism and we view people that have autism is is messed up. And it, it's through this lens of, of um, you know, we just we have these expectations that it's mostly white males and only boys can have autism. And, you know, if you have autism, you're going to be a robotic kind of person that's yeah. really into math. Exactly. Yeah. They're all dusting all over. Yeah. And that's not it at all. Yeah, I, I know when I was when I was going to school uh, for my associate's degree in addiction counseling, uh, in a lot of the classes they talked about, you know, one in 68 boys are going to have it. It's extremely rare in females, but it's very noticeable in females. Or at least that's what they told me 12 years ago when I was at school. And like over the last, I don't know, three or four years of kind of accepting my own diagnosis, I kind of went. No, it's not. It's not obvious in anybody who's on this part of the spectrum. Um, you know, formerly known as Asperger's syndrome. Uh, I know some people don't like that term, and I hope it doesn't offend you that I use that or even the shorter form of Aspie. No. Okay. Good copy. Surprise. I know people get pretty worked up about uh, about different labels and yeah. things, and I'm, yeah. I'm pretty low-key. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've got I've got two children who are also on the spectrum, uh, varying different yeah. uh, categories or parts of it. Uh, and so, like when I'm trying to communicate to people how I'm also on the spectrum, but where it sits for me is different. You know, sometimes I have to default to function language, and and sometimes I have to default to saying, "Look, I'm Aspie and she's autistic," and then people are like, "Oh." I mean, they don't really get it, but they kind of show some recognition that there's a difference. Interesting. I, think so. I have a toddler, so I'm not that far yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, at least, I don't know as much about it as Nick does, but from what I understand, the way that it manifests is a little different in women sometimes. And because of the way that girls are socialized, it's maybe not be picked up on as easy. When I say girls, I mean like right. when they're kids. Yeah. I'm saying if they're autistic as a kid, they might not notice it because girls are usually socialized in a way that prioritizes relationships and yeah. So it might, it might not be as noticeable right. for those reasons. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard recently that the average age of diagnosis for women on the autism spectrum is 40. You said 40? Four zero. Yeah, yeah. 40. Yeah, much later in life. Uh, like it's far more noticeable, or at least for diagnostic reasons, it's far more noticeable in boys than it is for females. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, the whole diagnostical statistical manual, the DSM-5 is written around diagnosing white males. So that's part of the problem is that the, the social constructs and the systems that were created to diagnose these conditions were created to diagnose males. Right. I mean, even even with but I'll still get off my soapbox. Female disorders were females with certain disorders, like the diagnostics didn't really change very much. Not to say they shouldn't change, but they just didn't. Right. Yeah. Like I'm also uh, I'm also diagnosed with bipolar type two, and that kind of same idea. It kind of presents slightly different from one to another uh, as first gender is not drastically different, but slightly different. Yes, definitely. I had that diagnosis at one point too, but I've since thrown it out the window. Um, got about 10 years ago and it doesn't seem to be accurate as time has gone on. Oh, okay. Well, it's kind of like how um, I've been diagnosed with several different things in the past and I don't think some of them were accurate, but I was also diagnosed by, for a couple of them by my primary care physician and not an actual person who specializes in uh, psychiatric medicine. So somebody who mm-hmm. was just like, Hey, fill out this questionnaire. All right. You have this. Okay. Here's some pills. Right. Without giving a full assessment. Right. It was like one of those, here's some pills because right. you're anxious. Take some of these. Well, right. Uh, unfortunately, it's very subjective. Guessed a little bit. Um, so I, I got a couple of questions I kind of wrote down in preparation for this. Um, what difficulties have you personally found uh, for yourself being on the spectrum or have come across when helping others uh, try their hand at dating. So what kind of issues me, uh, have you had with dating or uh, helping other people with dating for finding relationships, I guess I should say. Yeah, great question. Um, so I would say I see a lot of the same challenges that I faced when I was dating mm-hmm. um, in my clients. And that is, well, a few thing, main things. I would say communication. Um, neurodivergent individuals tend to communicate a little differently than neurotypical individuals. So if you have dating across neurotypes, then there's the communication piece that comes in, which, you know, uh, neurodivergent individuals will tell it like it is. They'll tell you the truth. They're not going to allude to things. Neurotypicals like to dance around things and allude to things and give you body language to tell you what they're really saying, but not really say that, you know? Yeah. So that creates a whole host of challenges, just communicating. Um, another one that I see that's a big one is advocating for yourself and setting boundaries for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and even knowing where your boundaries lie, which I think is important to establish before you start dating, at least to some extent. And then the third thing is um, really knowing what your own personal interests are, what your likes are, what you, what your dislikes are. We as um, especially autistic females, we can um, get to a point where we're so busy 
and so used to pleasing other people that we lose track of, you know, what we like, what we don't like, um, you know, what what lights us up, what gets us excited, what do we actually really enjoy doing, because we tend to um, build our relationships with people and just do what they like. Uh, essentially, so it's important. The other person. Yes. It's important to know before you get into a relationship, um, you know, what you like and what you don't like. Um, I have a question I kind of just thought of. So when you're coaching yeah. these these people, um, the people she's helping. Yeah. Folks like us. When you're helping people in the spectrum. <laughs> All right. So when you're helping folks foreigners. like us, um, <laughs> When do you think or when do you tell them is an appropriate time to disclose that you're somebody on the spectrum? I just had this conversation with somebody yesterday. And Scott, really, go ahead. Go ahead, Michelle. It's a great question. And I think it's very much a personal choice. So it depends on. If you want to do that, if you want to disclose, then absolutely you can disclose on your dating profile if you're doing online dating. Or you can choose not to disclose until you're in a relationship with someone. But it really just depends on your comfort level and what your intentions are behind disclosing. You know, are you going to ask them to help you with certain accommodations or to be comfortable with certain accommodations? You know, like, you're going to be wearing noise canceling headphones all the time in restaurants or things like that, then maybe it would be good to disclose sooner than later. But if you choose that you don't want to disclose until you're in an established relationship with someone, that's absolutely your choice. Uh, I, I, like I said, I just had this conversation with somebody. We were actually talking about, actually, to begin with, we were talking about uh, disclosing uh, if a person's trans or not. But we kind of moved into talking about autism. And my personal opinion on this is uh, I don't think people should put it on a dating site. And one of the reasons for that is because let the person know who you are and then let the stigma up appear when you're in the middle of a conversation with them, like when you're at dinner. That way you can actually talk about it. So it's not a word on a screen and they go, oh my God, my biases. I don't know how to handle this feeling. Right? Right. So I think it would be, right. in a lot of ways, I think it'd be better to, disclose it sooner than later for and my own personal reasons, I would say sooner than later, but like in person, because that way a, a conversation can happen. Because I mean, sometimes you read on a dating site or in the first email from somebody and you're like, eh, I'm not sure how I want to take that. You know what I mean? But at least in person, there's a little bit more of a chance for a conversation and you can, the other person can actually ask like, okay, I don't know anything about that. Please help me. You know what I mean? Although. Yeah, it's uh, all about communication. But. Uh, no, like. Um, my, my, I, I was undiagnosed with when I was with my first wife. And like, I never, there was a lot of times where I stopped myself and said, how come she just doesn't understand what I'm saying? And then there were times where she was like, Nick, why can't you just get this? It's really simple. Everybody else understands this. And we just didn't quite understand that, like, there's a communication difference. Right. Yeah. Uh, my current relationship, on the other hand, she knew going into the relationship that I had pieces about me 
And so she took a second longer to like, is this what you, or are you saying something else? So it's kind of nice. Yeah, that definitely helps. And that's why I do encourage people to advocate for themselves and to at least explain their communication differences, explain their accommodations, whether or not they want to disclose any diagnosis. Right. Because yeah, it makes a huge difference in your relationship quality. Yeah. I think in my yeah. experience, I've had a lot of people not believe me. If I'm dating a girl and I tell her, she's like, no, you're not. Because we seem so normal, Steve. <laughs> I'm like, okay, sure, I'm not. Thanks, you cured me. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm not gonna not go to the. You went to medical school for yeah. seven years. Give me uh, no. No, I've got like I. I think me and Steve and and we've talked about this on previous episodes and also personally we've talked about it is because we're so quote unquote normal presenting. It when our issues crop up when things kind of appear to people it becomes a little bit more shocking to them or they think we're just being an asshole. Yeah, or they just think we're being an asshole. Um, and, yeah. and like, there are times where I've actually said to myself, I wish, I wish I presented more like what I am. I wish I presented more like an Aspie, even though I don't hundred percent know what that actually would look like in reality, because there's so many different types of us. You know, do you know what a people show? I get it. I yeah. totally do. And that's really relatable because you'll be you know, floating along, bobbing along like a, a wonderful buoy in the ocean. And then all of a sudden a wave comes and, you know, you have a meltdown or or there's some other issue that'll crop up and people are just like, what the hell? Oh, yeah. For me, with that type of stuff, so, it usually comes up when I'm dating people when it comes to uh, um, like physical stuff, like physical intimacy, being too close to my face, or if we're going out somewhere and it's extremely crowded and loud, um, usually the sensory stuff doesn't bother me as much. Like if I'm out at a concert and I have a couple of drinks, then usually it doesn't contact me as much. But if I'm uh, completely sober, no alcohol, nothing, and I'm just sitting there in a crowded theater, then I start to get a little anxious. It just to bother me. So I have to explain to them why it yeah. bothers me. And they're like, why are you being so weird? So, and this is a bad habit of mine, but like I'm a cigarette smoker and I've always found it to be really helpful to be a cigarette smoker because then I can, when I'm overloaded with sound or light or even there's too many people touching me or too close to me, I can just be like, oh, I step outside. And then I can go somewhere, get away from everything and kind of recenter. Yeah. Um, I've always found Absolutely. that helpful. Not that I'm advocating people smoke. Not, I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying that's what I do so I can step away from other people. Because it's, it's weird to say to somebody, hey, I'm going to step away real quick. How come you're stepping away? I don't want to tell you. Like, Right. I think it's a really common coping mechanism. I would say there's a huge comorbidity in the, the level of um, autistic smokers versus non-autistic smokers. Yeah. Because it is the perfect excuse to just step outside at just, any time, you know, and oftentimes you get that time right? to yourself. Yeah. Exactly. In a lot of our people. So, and then you're doing deep breathing. Yeah. 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 I also do, uh, I also do a grounding technique. I learned a long time ago of touching my, the tip of my thumb to the tip of each of my fingers in sequence. And it kind of allows me to regain control that way. Yes. That's a good one. Yeah. I, I enjoy that because no matter where I am, I can always do that without a lot of people seeing me do it. You know, that whole like, yeah. Um, so anyway, let's look right. back to talking about you. Um, actually, uh, um, 
What Steve mentioned getting too close to the face. Is that something that you find a lot of uh, people on the spectrum have issues with? I think we all have different sensory issues. Sure. And I can't say, you know, one is more common than the okay. other, but I would say that definitely it's it's very common to have any kind of sensory issue. I would say we all have some kind or another um, and definitely to do with, with closeness. I mean, mm. a lot of people have issues with kissing because they don't like the way that kissing feels. Right. I mean, there's just different presentations. Sorry, I'm double checking to make sure I'm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, I got another question for you. Yeah. What drove you in this direction of helping others date? So you said you, you were diagnosed later in life, and so were we. Uh, so I can understand that you'd want to help out the community in that way because you finally found, like, oh my God, I've got this community that makes sense and I now make sense. So you want to help others. But like, what kind of drove you to help people connect relationship-wise and, and life coach it? So I really help with all kinds of relationships. I help with everything from work relationships to family relationships, friends, mm -hmm. just dating, building community. I do all of it. I'm not just a dating coach. Um, but to me, relationships are the foundation of everything. Yes your employment is based on the quality of your relationships. A lot of the times finding the right job has to do with who you know. Yeah. Um, your mental health is, has so much to do with what kind of friends you have, what kind of community you have around you to support you through the good times and the bad times. Right. And you have to have people in your life that are really authentic and they're really there for you, for who you are. And it takes tools and understanding of how to find those people. And I think especially for us as autistic individuals, we can get burnt out on the search. Oh, God, yeah. Because we go through the revolving door of friendship and the revolving door of relationships where you meet someone, they get to know you and they leave. Oh, yeah. You know, so I think it's really important that people learn how to develop meaningful, long-lasting relationships. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I'm actually a big fan. So I'm a counselor by day. Um, and uh, I do substance abuse counseling, but my favorite type of therapy is called reality therapy. Uh, and one of the main reasons why I like it so much is because it comes from a base question of, is what you were doing bringing you closer to or further away from the people you care about? And so I'm a big fan of that question. And I started adapting that to my own behaviors regularly. Is what I'm doing getting me what I want as in closer to the people around me? Am I maintaining my relationships by doing X, Y, Z? Or am I driving people away from me out of like some protective drive that I'm having at that moment? So, uh, yeah, I really like reality therapy for that. So I agree with you when it comes to like everything is based on relationships in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really great sentiment, a great question to ask yourself. Yeah. yeah. I, I have a question. So you yeah. mentioned that you also help people with work relationships, like uh, how to navigate the workplace. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges that people have there? The top one that comes to mind is social hierarchies. Um, really just understanding, you know, if you have an issue at work, you need to talk to your direct boss 
first, you know, if you have you first, you go to the person you have the issue with, right? If that doesn't work, then you go up the chain of command to your direct boss. So you don't want to jump right because if you jump right, the neurotypicals don't like that, right? No, they don't. <laughs> so just understanding social hierarchies, understanding how to be um, present a sort of professional avatar in the workplace, navigating relationships with coworkers, and how much to disclose to your coworkers and how much to not disclose to them, um, advocating for yourself in the workplace, whether you do choose to disclose a disability or autism. There's a lot of different pieces that go into coaching around the workplace. I've actually recently started to disclose that I'm autistic at work. I mean, I work in mental right. health and I thought, well, I've always thought that working in mental health, people would be a little bit more accepting of differences. Not so much, but I haven't gotten any flack really? for it or blowback from it. But there are times where people have, now that I've disclosed to a, a lot of the other counselors that I work with, they, they kind of go, uh, what do I need to know? And I'm like, I don't know. How about you not treat me any different than two minutes ago when you didn't know that fact? How about, how about you just treat me the way you treated me before and we just keep moving forward? <laughs> And this one girl right. goes, I'm not putting, oh, go ahead. what if I say something you don't like? And I was like, well, what if I said something I don't like two minutes ago? She was like, well, I would hope you would tell me. And I will. So, yeah, I, right. nationally, I, I like to be as upfront as I can with everybody about all the things about me. I like to be completely out there, if you will. Um, it just makes me feel better that way. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna go with that. How do you see? That's awesome. I think that's, that's what inclusion is all about. You know? I've worked very hard to get to where I am. Uh, I was diagnosed with bipolar in 2010, and I spent seven, eight years in therapy, and I finally came to a point of I need to be the first one to accept me. and. If I have a hard yeah. time doing it, so will everybody else have a hard time doing it. But I need to accept me at the end of the day. Yeah. And so if nobody else liked me, then I'm going to like me enough for everybody. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, it's got to come from me first and foremost. But Steve, how about you? Do you disclose at work? Not usually. No. Well, I was going to, I had something to say about what, what oh, she said. Yeah, sorry. Um, I saw you had the... I saw her face, you had a question. Yeah, well, she was talking about how people tend to jump hierarchy. And I was wondering if the both of you think that that has to do with the way like people on the spectrum tend to try to find, like we try to look for a, a direct route or uh, the easiest way to solve a problem. And so your yeah. mind might automatically jump like up rank because you're just like, well, who can solve the problem the fastest? Let me go to the highest person available who can fix this problem for me. Uh, I mean, I think it might have something to do with that. I mean, it does sound like it would have something to do with that. Just a matter of who's going to solve my problem. This person will solve it. Let me go talk to that person. Okay. And not thinking of how it'll make other people feel along the way. I mean, it might have something to do with that. What do you think, Michelle? I think that could very possibly be it. We do tend to find the quickest route um, from point A to point B. And sometimes the quickest route is not always the socially accepted or expected route to take. 
So that could be part of it for people. And it could be just trying to get a solution really fast and not have to do a bunch of workarounds and fancy footwork, so to speak. So that could definitely be the reason that people do it. Do you find that one particular um, career field is more difficult than others? For my coaches? For, yeah, for people in general, for people like us in general. Like, or do you, is it all, is it just like, I was just curious if there's like one particular type of career field, let's say for instance, like sales or um, like office jobs, or like if there's certain types of jobs that seem to be more difficult for people like us than others, is in your experience. You know, I think that unfortunately, I think that's part of a stigma. And I think that because autism is a spectrum, everybody's different. Everybody presents differently. Everybody has different skills. I've spent much of my career working in customer service and I work with people, you know, everything from art to sales to, um, you know, executives. And I think that they all present different unique challenges. So it's so, hard to say if there's like a specific field. So what, what I meant, I didn't actually mean everyone. difficult to do the job. I meant like difficult to navigate, like because of like difficult yeah, to deal with the people around you, not, um, like that we can't do the same job that anyone else can do. So I don't know if that mm -hmm. if I made sense with what I said, but I meant like when you're coaching people about how to navigate the workplace, <clears throat> being somebody who's on the spectrum, is there anything, like I guess I meant like, is there, are there specific fields that seem to be more difficult for people to navigate? Not that they can't do the job, I guess. I don't know. Maybe you understood me. I don't know. I did. Yeah, I haven't seen anything consistent. I think that really just relationships are relationships and so they're challenging across the board. Um, I I will say, and this is just purely anecdotal, this is not because I've dealt with a hell of a lot of people, but I do know in like council fields, where at least in my experience in counseling, there's not a whole lot of people uh, on the spectrum who really try to get into counseling all that much. Um, and I think part of it's because of their own stigma about being on the spectrum. Uh, but part of it also is about the, the expression of motion at times for some people is hard and also because of the direct language kind of thing. Um, I, I know like, uh, I've usually gotten asked like in like Reddit groups or, uh, in Facebook groups for, uh, folks on the spectrum, I usually get asked, like, why would you even think to be a counselor? Like, why would you even get into psychology and counseling? Um, people are so hard to talk to. And I mean, I've never found them. I've never found people extremely difficult to talk to. <clears throat> I've just always found there to be a, a different language, if you will, between us. So, right. Uh, absolutely. I'm super passionate about psychology, too. So I get that. I would think that in some ways, um, there's a maybe a benefit to the way that we think about things. Mm hmm or the way we think rather is no. like we, in my experience, cause I can't speak for all people like us, but no. in my experience, people like us tend to be less judgmental. When I say judgmental, I mean like if you have somebody who's having an issue, for instance, if you deal with people who have addictions, mm -hmm. um, I feel like we tend to not judge the person and like put a moral determination on them for right. something terrible. Like I say, if I have a, Somebody has a drug problem. I don't make a moral judgment about that person right. as a person because of the, the thing that they're doing that's hurting them, or if they're doing something that is, you know, that's generally accepted to be quote unquote bad. Oh, 
I I get what you're saying with that. And and because we we know there's something up with us, right? Even prior to diagnosis, we know there's something different about us, right? In a lot of ways. Um, even before I got the diagnosis of bipolar, I knew there was something different about me. And I think that in itself allowed me to separate the behavior from people when I was looking at other people. And so in my estimation, we are far more able to separate the difference between the behavior and the human. So we're less absolutely. So I agree with you, less judgmental. What do you think, Michelle? Yeah, I agree with that also. I think that despite sort of the stigma around the way that we are, most, I would say most autistic people, and I can't speak for everyone, of course, mm-hmm. are incredibly um, caring and compassionate and want to do the right thing and want to help other people and will go out of their way to help a complete stranger. There was actually a research study done recently that showed that autistic individuals were more likely to help a stranger than neurotypical individuals. Right. So I think that's really true that we are able to separate a behavior from a person. And I think we see the best in people, which can be a benefit. And it can also be a detriment in in the sense that sometimes we will put ourselves into bad situations and bad relationships and connect with people that are not good for us. So it's important for us to be able to identify safe people and not safe people. Right. No, I, I agree with that. We have a tendency to put ourselves in positions where we're more likely to get hurt. But our thinking is, let me help that person. Exactly. Yeah. It's like the other day when I gave that homeless guy a ride. (laughs) And then some people were like, why did you do that? You don't know this person. I'm like, oh, I don't care. I'm not judging him. I just want to help him out. I really wish that was the setup of a joke, but it's not. No. You actually did that. People did actually. Yeah. I talked to this guy for like an hour outside in a snowstorm and I gave him a ride home. Well, he didn't have a home, but he had somewhere to stay. I gave him enough money to be able to stay where he needed to stay that night. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. That's what we should all do. I don't want to shit on people, but I mean, really. I wasn't telling that story for brownie points, by the way. It just made me think of it because you were saying, well, that's where you're pointing yeah. at yourself. I'm, I'm a good person. I know. I want you guys to know how good of a person I am. That's it. Um, so you didn't film it and put it on social media. That would be saying you want everybody to know how good a yes. person oh, you I did are. tell the guy that um, I wish I was recording him because he told me a lot about his experience and his life story and how he ended up homeless. And I almost wish I had recorded it so I could share it with people. But I, I don't do stuff for people for internet clout. So, right. I mean, we're doing a podcast, so start doing stuff for internet clout. Focus on that, maybe. No, um, I was talking to the person in front of me, not trying to get likes. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. Uh, we don't say inflammatory things just to get people to like us. Wait, we we do comedy, right? Oh yeah, that's right, we do. Um, so so actually, I, I got a question for you because me and Steve are also in an improv sketch comedy group together, and we perform shows every month. In in like, it is do you find there to be a lot of performers? Uh, that you come across that that ask for help to be performers or or to be able to come out of their shell a little bit more? You know, I personally haven't come across a lot. I have come across a few, but I do think that there is um, a big overlap there. I'm currently working with someone who is in the field of dance. So, I mean, different kinds of performers. Definitely, that could be an overlap. Right. 
since we spend so much time masking. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, actually, me and Steve were talking about this in a different episode, actually. That's one of the things that when I first got into acting, that's pretty much what I did. I was just like, all right, well, what do all the rest of you people do? All right, let me do that. Actually, uh, this is a topic for an upcoming show. We want to do a whole episode about masking. Yes, actually. Awesome. Uh, I had a, actually had a question for you before, but I it kind of slipped through the cracks because we were talking about other things. But um, so in your experience coaching people, and this may be maybe this is a stupid question, but do you find that there are like you work with both men and women, right? I know you said you primarily yeah. work with a lot of women, but you work with men too. Yeah. Do you find that there no are stupid question. gender specific challenges? Like, is there, is there a difference yeah. in the way, like the coaching that you give to the guys versus the coaching that you give to the girls? Is it, I would imagine most of it is similar, but I'm like more curious about the, the differences. Yeah, definitely. So all of my coaching is really tailored to the individual. I do have a set program, but I'm going to adjust it based on what the individual needs. Um, and there is a little bit of an adjustment that I do when I work with males. I may not use quite as much yoga or dance with them when I'm doing healing um, modalities. But yeah, it's really tailored to each individual person. So what you're saying is I'm just being a sexist jerk. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just figured that I there might, there like might be some challenges because I don't talk to a lot of women who are on the spectrum. So I didn't know if there were like unique challenges to being a woman versus being a guy. Well, I just was curious about it. All of life, there's unique challenges yeah. between the two. Yeah, but I meant specifically I related mean, to well, Of course, there's going to be, but there's also unique challenges no matter who the individual is too. All right. Because I mean, well, first and foremost, we're human. And then all of those. Other I'll turn in my feminist card right now. Here we go. As you really should. You really <laughs> should turn in my wallet years ago. Years ago, <laughs> sir. Um, I don't support no, the suffragettes I, well, anymore. Uh, Michelle, you just said, like, for men, you wouldn't do as much dance. Interesting enough, I actually started out performing when I was a kid doing ballet. So, like, if I ever came to nice. coaching, dance would be a good way to kind of connect with. That's awesome. Yeah. So I would have to talk to you about that and find that out, and then we would dance anyway. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm way better <laughs> physically moving than I am if you're like, so tell me about your feelings. I'm way better if you're just like, all right, let's do a rumba. So how's your day going? I'm like, all right, cool. So, Michelle, what do you think There's is There's so the... much that you can break down by movement that you can't touch. What? Just Sorry. by talking. What? There's so much... So much um, you can break through, so many breakthroughs you can happen that can happen by putting movement into a conversation rather than just talking about it. And it really depends on the person's learning style. So if you're a kinesthetic learner, then movement could be really pivotal for you in having breakthroughs and, you know, discovering things that you're trying to discover about yourself. And same thing goes for visual or audio, just depending on what your learning style is. Right. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I don't know what my learning style is, but I don't know. I think your learning style is, holy shit, you got fixated. So however you can get the information, you will. I used to remember, <laughs> I, th I guess it would be more, I think it would be audio mainly for me because I tend to like, when I used to get lectured to as a kid in school, I'd remember word for word everything the teacher would say in verbatim. Yeah. But uh, 
which is why I would just regurgitate everything they told me for tests and I have to study. Yeah, my predominant is listening to like um, it, when I listen to a lot of the uh, audio books on psychology, I'll retain far more of the information than if I read the book, like visually. I'll retain way more okay. listening. Interesting. I mean, maybe that's my learning style, but then again, I don't know. I can pick up stuff in all the directions, but I think my predominant is auditory. I'm pretty sure. Cool. Hey, can I leave you for a second with her? I'm going to go get another cup of coffee. Is that cool? Sure. Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. You're not going to say anything? No, I, I have a question for her anyway. Should I stay? It's up to you. Nick needs a refill. So yeah, I'm just getting coffee. Sorry, one of my obsessions, Michelle, is coffee. I actually roast coffee at home, and I'm really, like, nice. obsessed with coffee. I think that's pretty common, too. Well, um, I quit coffee, but I would say I know a lot of people that are obsessed. I'm sorry, did you say you quit coffee? Yes, I don't drink coffee. Oh, well, I'm so sorry this interview has to end now. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> you are the weakest link. Goodbye. So, um, question I had for you. Uh, as you're coaching people, um, well, I guess the first part are most of these people, um, the people that you're, you're interacting with, are they newly diagnosed or are they, um, and like what level are they typically at when you first start helping them? What do you mean by level when you say level? What do you level is like, are they somebody who, uh, level like socially like when you're coaching people to interact in in relationships when it comes to work personal relationships and all that like where do you think they're at typically or is it i mean i guess you probably say it depends on the individual person just like the other questions i asked i guess what i was trying to trying to ask where, where this is going i was going to ask her um what are some of the biggest challenges that you face when you're trying to coach people like what are the hardest things for them to grasp or the hardest things for them to maybe understand that maybe take some time it's a great question hardest thing for people to grasp um i would say one of the biggest challenges can be that self-acceptance piece wow. We spend so much time hiding who we are, especially if you are not diagnosed until you're an adult mm -hmm. and pushing down what you like and what you don't like and things that bother you because we're conditioned over our lifetime to not share all of our feelings or things that bother us or the fact that we could hear the fluorescent lights or the refrigerator buzzing because nobody else can hear that stuff, you know. So, um, <laughs> hey, Nick and I often I think, squirrels just yeah. popping our heads up, like, what was that? Yeah, <laughs> my girlfriend all the time. So, like, what, what that, are you looking at? I'm like, I don't know, I heard something over next door. I'm like, yeah, was yeah but I the floor. Right? so what? No, really, they're stripping the floor. <laughs> yeah and i think it's hard for, for other people to accept or neurofibulas to accept that we can hear things that they can't but um i think self-acceptance is a big one 
So that can be a challenge, especially moving from self-acceptance to self-love. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, Michelle, have you ever heard of Albert Ellis? Yes. Okay. So Albert Ellis wrote a book a bunch of years ago and somebody, what? Yes, I worked Albert Ellis's name into a conversation yet again. No? Yes, I did, sir. Go ahead. Thanks for, thanks for giving me that look. All right. So Albert Ellis wrote a book, and I always found it really helpful for me, and I've kind of uh, uh, you know pitched it to other people to read because it's called The Myth of Self-Esteem. Have you ever heard of it? No, I have not heard of Albert Ellis, but not The Myth of Self-Esteem. Okay. So in The Myth of Self-Esteem, Albert Ellis actually talks about how we're trained and conditioned as humans, especially in American society, to have conditional acceptance and conditional love from others. And he advocates for people to break that conditioning and instead look for unconditional love and acceptance first from self and then from others. Amazing. It's a I have wonderful, to read one book. This is it's what I do. American society in several different categories and is like, here's the problem with it. Here's what you're going to feel because of it. But here's what we should do instead because you're not going to feel as depressed or anxious anymore. Yeah, it was really cool time. Uh, I actually really enjoy the way he talked about humans and behavior and, and like how to kind of move forward with from stuff. It was very direct. To, you know what? She might have probably been on the spectrum now that I think about it. Anytime I've ever seen that deep talk. I, I don't know. I'm not going to diagnose the guy. I'm not trained in that. Um, but yeah, so it's a really cool book. Uh, it's worth a read if you're interested. Uh, but it absolutely helped me kind of come to terms too. Um, so I would I would advocate for people to read that. Fantastic. I'm putting it to my, on my reading list for sure. Thank you. Yeah, it's awesome. So I know uh, we plan to only keep you for about an hour and we're getting close to it. So before we before we uh, go over too much time, I don't want to take up too much too much of your time. Uh, is there anything that you kind of want to tell people or anything you want to talk about before we wrap up? And also before you leave, make sure you tell people where they can find you, where they can find your website, how they can contact you. Yeah, absolutely. I just want people to know that everyone deserves meaningful relationships and a strong sense of community. And I really believe that everyone can have that with the right support and the right tools. And I do offer a free 30-minute transformation phone call. And you can book that by going to my website, which is michellemarkman.com. And thank you so much for having me on today. Oh, you're absolutely well. well it was our pleasure having you. Uh, it was wonderful to talk to you. Thank you very much for coming on. Yeah. Um, maybe we can talk to you again sometime in the future. We can delve in a little deeper, maybe, uh, maybe talk about a topic. Peel back the layers of the onion, so to speak. Yeah, that would be awesome. I know it'd be awesome. So we um, can we can go a little. What do they call it? Like deep cuts, you know, yeah, kind of get into the yeah. get into the weeds a little bit more and talk about things a little more specific instead of like yeah. so general. Yeah, that'd be fun. Definitely, absolutely. Uh, and for anybody listening to us, please contact Michelle. She seems to know what she's talking about. She's honestly a nice lady. So might as well reach out to her and get help if you need it. Uh, and also know that y'all are not alone. There's others like you out there. I mean, I am, but I deserve it. You deserve to be alone, probably in the closet <laughs> locked away. Uh, That's right. But other than that, <laughs> straight jacket. Thank you very much. We appreciate you. And uh, uh, 
Yeah, and show the info too. Thank you. Been a pleasure. All right, uh, and we'll we'll see the rest of you next week. Yeah, we'll talk to the rest of you on the next episode.